And over the next five years, we're going to incrementally get revenue back for that skill center for that investment. Absolutely makes sense to all of us in the industry. We know how to do that. We've been doing that for 20 years. The bankers still don't get it. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Incident Report presented by Quest Technology Management. I'm Paul Burke, Director of Technology Communications. Every week, I'm joined by VP of Sales and Partnerships, Adam Burke. The Incident Report brings you conversations with thought leaders, business innovators, and channel mavericks to help you stay productive and agile in a changing technology landscape. Welcome back to the Incident Report. This is episode 11. I am your host, Paul Burke. I'm one of your hosts. Across from me, Adam Burke. Adam, how are you doing? Great, Paul. Happy to be here. I'm really excited to talk today. Thanks. How was your Easter? Fantastic. It was a uh, rejuvenating weekend. Got some good time with the family. How about you? So I'm not going to lie, Adam, I am not above buying the love of my nephews and nieces because I purchased a Nintendo Switch last week and realized, oh my gosh, they're going to love me if I bring it to Easter this weekend. So did I go to Amazon and buy extra controllers? And did I bring those controllers over so they could play? Yes. Adam, mission accomplished. Love secured. <laughs> nice. Hey. Smoke if you got them and having the nieces and nephews happy and enjoying some Nintendo time with their Uncle Paul. That uh, makes sense. It sounds like a good Easter. Yeah, it was a good Easter. This is a post-Easter a podcast episode. It's also a post-Channel Partners Expo episode. And it was a big event, and that is the first article we want to get into this week. Well, the first article is from Channel Futures, Top Moments from the Record-Smashing Channel Partners Conference and Expo. And I wasn't there, but Adam, you were there, so I'd love your thoughts on it as well after I read a little bit. This week's Channel Partners Conference and Expo broke just about every record in the books. More than 7,400 people signed up for the Channel Partners Expo. That's nearly a 20% increase. Adam, how was your experience? It sounds like there were over 320 sponsors and exhibitors. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. Uh, we got in on Monday, participated a little bit in the MSP event, met some partners and some friends out there. Uh, yeah, I think it ended up being well over, I think, 7,800 in total attendance. A lot of partners there, a lot of suppliers, tons of trusted advisors, MSPs, agents, technology representatives. Definitely was a well-attended event. Quest has been participating in Channel Partners uh, since 2009. I've been there every year since, and that uh, was definitely a very well-attended event. And it sounds like if you wanted to hear a speaker on something, chances are they were talking about it because there were over 200 speakers. Yeah, there was a lot of industry kind of leadership and, and thought leadership going on. I hate that term. But they get on stage and talk about what's affecting the different suppliers, what's affecting the different customers, what how people are adapting to all the different rates of change in the industry. People have been talking about convergence in the channel for a very long time. And it's really actually, we're seeing it happen now. When we first got involved in the channel, there were VARs, there were MSPs, there were telecommunications folks, and there were agents. Everybody's getting the soup together now. Convergence is a nice way of saying a lot of people can help out in a lot of different ways. That was the nature of this event. Everybody was in there trying to understand, okay, what do I have available to me in the market to address a customer need? And, and a lot of people are out there evangelizing their solutions and, and talking and telling their story and talking their book about what they could do to help. It sounds like a great event. 
Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And you get to know partners and friends and people in the industry and really get a chance to sit down. I didn't get a chance to listen to many speakers because we were in partner meetings the whole time. So you didn't get a chance to really experience what other people were saying you know, on the keynotes and things like that. Tried to listen to some of it. But it was meet with partners, learning what they're up to, learn about their business. And we do a partner forum every couple of months. And that's something I'm, I'm excited to get some feedback from our partner community to see what they thought of the event and things like that. So pretty good. People are back in in-person events. The, the mask mandates were finally removed. I wish they would have been removed before I had to fly to Vegas. But yesterday they got removed. So all good. Looking forward to getting back, traveling, seeing people. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. What event during the conference stood out to you? There was a great security advisory council that, that one of our one of our partners put together where they talked latest and greatest security trends. I thought that was fantastic. We saw a couple other partners talk about compensation in the channel, how people are making money. Sometimes people get uncomfortable with that topic, but we're all salespeople and we're all working for organizations that, that make money and we're not communists yet. That's always fun to talk about. And I, I always enjoy that to understand what what people are, what motivates people to sell and what, you know, kind of gets people um, interested in a service or an offering or a technology. So that was probably, I thought that was a lot of fun that the, the nature of compensation in the channel was, that was a good event. You can check out the link in the description of this episode to find out what else happened to the channel partners conference and expo up next beyond the trends in managed services, 2022 with CompTIA. CompTIA's annual research on the managed service market looks at the future of the MSP and explores the latest trends in business models and service offerings, cybersecurity, cloud, and customer experiences. Are businesses running efficiently? Are they doing everything they can to support their customers? These are the questions that CompTIA looked at. And what are the biggest concerns for MSPs over the next two years? Their study reveals the following stats in terms of levels of concern. 44% were concerned with the macroeconomic crises. 43% concerned with supply chain and logistic disruption. 42% access to credit and adequate cash flow. And 36% customers taking business direct. 31% advanced skills needed. 29% breaking into new markets. And 27% desire to sell or merge businesses. These were the top seven issues on companies' minds. This goes in line with what we were hearing from our partners and what we were hearing from people about the show and our conversations. We're seeing a huge issue in the ability to execute and deploy and get talent where it's needed. We're seeing that from vendors. We're seeing that from suppliers. We're seeing that from partners across the board. So that advanced skills and that, that ability to deliver, huge backlog. I don't care if it's a UCAS provider we're talking to, for unified communications, if it's a security vendor who needs help with IR, or if it's just uh, someone out there helping organizations install new SD-WAN or telecommunication circuits, having people who can help with a deployment to get that reoccurring revenue flowing, huge opportunity, at least that we see, to help those organizations. And we're seeing a lot of people need that. So that whole advanced skill sets needed, I agree with that. And the supply chain and logistics disruptions, that's really impacting projects nationally right now. I don't know what you're going to do about macroeconomic crises. Yep, that's, yep, the world's dangerous place. People are going to do dumb things. And the adequate the access to credit and cash flow, MSPs, I think that can be a, a delicate thing because 
organizations, explaining your business model to banks and getting access to credit saying, hey, we're going to invest in this skill set. And over the next five years, we're going to incrementally get revenue back for that skill set or for that investment. Absolutely makes sense to all of us in the industry. We know how to do that. We've been doing that for 20 years. The bankers still don't get it. Now, the valuation folks get it on Wall Street. Everyone's chasing reoccurring revenue. But as far as maybe for SMBs and middle-sized credit folks in the industry, MSPs trying to establish that, I could definitely see how they could have challenge with that and access to credit and getting that because bankers still don't get it. They don't understand what it means to invest in, spend $200,000 on switching and data um, storage infrastructure and, and data center services, and then roll that together for a three to five year contract. They don't necessarily understand that business model. Wall Street definitely gets it. And they're, we're seeing right now with what's happening on Wall Street, valuations getting crushed. I don't know if you guys listen to a show called On the Tape with Guy Adami. Great podcast, love it. He does a market call every single day too. Loves to talk about text. Loves that podcast. If you ever listen to another podcast, check that one out. They're the dudes from Fast Money on CNBC. But they're talking about how the cloud-based companies, organizations that have been really pumped up in valuation, nothing against the companies, but their valuation in the stock market is starting to crater right now because, because people got a little too overzealous about reoccurring revenue models. Everyone loves reoccurring revenue. You get huge valuations on your stock price, huge multiples, all good until you miss. And right now people are seeing smaller incremental growth on their reoccurring revenue and uh, they're getting nailed in the stock market right now. The Microsofts, Amazons, Googles of the world, they're still insanely valuable companies and there's nothing against the companies, but their stock price right now is getting hammered. You're seeing that in access to credit right now, all the way down to the small regional MSPs. That's a little off topic, but those kind of things can influence cash flow and influence who's investing when. There's a lot of people right now, I think about 35% of the population right now thinks we're about to go into a recession. So that was a topic right now that the our market is really, and we were at Channel Partners and, and OCompTIA and everyone was talking about these different factors out there long-term. There's, there's a lot of people in the population right now who are kind of pucker factors a little high on, on concern about what's going to happen next with the, with the economy. Do you feel like a lot of people are just going to wait and hold situation? You've gone from wait and hold to everyone that you had the you had the pandemic and then you had everyone, okay, how are we going to support our end users? So they released release funding then. And now, okay, pandemic's over, but what's actually happening with the economy? Is the stock market going to take a breather and incite a recession? Or the Fed right now has committed to increasing interest rates seven times in 2022. They haven't done something like that since Volcker in the 80s. Interest rates have basically been, people have been able to borrow money for basically zero right now. Kind of laugh at that access to credit thing. There are people who can't have access to credit, but there are a lot of people who have access to stupid credit. They're tightening, so they're going into a tightening cycle, which could cause a recession. Not that we're excited about a recession, but from a Quest standpoint, where we're able to help customers consume technologies in different ways. We actually tend to, to grow when the market contracts a little bit. We're always prepared and waiting for the opportunity to help customers where they need. Other organizations might be going through some pain when people pull back on big purchases, or like you said, they're going to a wait and see model. That can be challenging. With so many challenges ahead, I'm curious what you think is going to instigate change. In the CompTIA article, they cite customer experience expectations growing sophistication of cybersecurity and changes in customer procurement will all work together to drive change. Yeah. So changing customer you know, expectations, when you're supporting an end user, you don't get very many opportunities to mess up, 
right? Internet goes down for an hour, people are freaking out. You don't have access to your key applications. I was laughing the other day, I, I logged onto my mobile app with a bank that I bank with to pay my mortgage. And it said, sorry, we're down right now for maintenance. And I was, I, you know, I went to my wife and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Can you believe this? It's eight o'clock on a, And then I thought to myself, wait a second, I'm barely touching a phone. I'm logging in and I'm paying a mortgage from my cell phone. And it, I'm annoyed because, well, they're doing some maintenance for five minutes. But then I, realistically, it's, yeah, but I've been conditioned that that's always there. So that customer experience, that availability, it's, we're just inherently, we think it's always on and always available. Same thing with cybersecurity. People assume that organizations are protecting them. That's a dangerous assumption. Growing sophistication around cybersecurity, I would, I'd challenge that a little bit. I think there's a growing awareness of how exposed people are. I wouldn't say there's much growth and sophistication around dealing with it. I see. That's a great distinction. I think that's a big one. People are in a pretty rough spot. I think it's good their awareness is raising around it. I think that's the first step to improving it, but I wouldn't say there's much growth in the sophistication of it. Adam, interesting article that Darcy brought to our attention about Conti. And Conti, for those who don't know, a Russian group identified by the FBI as one of the most prolific ransomware groups of 2021 is Conti. And they may now understand how it feels to be the victim of cyber espionage. So this article is brought to us by CNBC, Monica Buchanan Petrelli. A series of document leaks revealed details about the size, leadership, and business operations of the group known as Conti, as well as what's perceived as its most prized possession of all, the source code of its ransomware. The group emerged in 2020 and grew into the, one of the biggest ransomware organizations in the world. The group has around 350 members who collectively made 2.7 billion in crypto in only two years. The leak appears to be an act of revenge prompted by a since amended post by Conti published in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So Conti came out as pro-Russia. What they theorize is it angered some people who worked at Conti and then the leaks started happening. And the leaks began on February 28th, and there were hundreds of documents that have been portal. And what's really interesting is Conti operates and is organized like a regular tech company, including salaried workers, some of who are paid in Bitcoin, plus performance reviews and training opportunities, negotiators who receive commissions ranging from 0.5% to 1% of paid ransoms, employee referral program with bonuses given to employees who've recruited others who worked for at least a month and an employee of the month at Conti who earns a bonus equal to half their salary. The messages show that Conti has physical offices in Russia and Finkelstein at the message. The messages showed Conti has physical offices in Russia and may have ties to the Russian government. Our assumption is that such a huge organization with physical offices and enormous revenue would not be able to act in Russia without a full approval or even cooperation with Russian intelligence services. And the part of the article that I love the most is the Russian embassy in London did not respond to CNBC requests for comment. Moscow has previously denied that it takes part in cyber attacks. So I love the idea that CNBC called up uh, the Russian embassy hoping that they'd get some sort of hot news tip that, oh yeah, we participate 
in cyber attacks. Talk to you later, CNBC. Yeah, just kind of talk about it. I I love the uh, organizational chart. So that they was was part of the data dump here was you had the you have your executive management there in the middle, and then you have your business development, which is your acquisitions and negotiators. So acquisitions is basically targeting people. And then you have all your developers and your research and development team, and you have your HR recruitment, and then your finance. The finance guys, those the finance folks, that's got to be pretty interesting with the money laundering, transaction management, all the Bitcoin shenanigans that are going on around getting people paying for their, paying for their data back. I, beyond frustrating, we deal with IR and instant containment, instant response all the time. You get involved in negotiations. You get involved in communicating with with the, I guess you could say, bad actors in this situation, people who are holding the keys and you negotiate for Bitcoin. It is, you hate to say it, but you, you've seen, I've seen some threads and we work with the FBI pretty often out of the field office and in, in Northern California and can communicate with them on what they're seeing and let them know. And it is, it's sometimes like, it's like buying a car when you're negotiating with these folks. It's, you do get a sense that like you're writing a number on a pad and they're walking back to the manager and you got the person sitting there with you at the car and then you got the executive manager and then you got, you're about to buy a Chevy truck and everyone's about to tell you congratulations as you drive out, as you walk off the lot with your data back in hand. And it's, it's, it's interesting. To, it's interesting to see. I don't think anyone's ever going to actually admit to, to the way this is structured or the way it's actually organized. But it sounds, at least for Conti, ramifications of of siding with siding with the Russians in an international incident that's going on right now in Ukraine. Obviously, burned some bridges uh, with some folks who were in house there and did a data dump. So even the bad actors are vulnerable to insider threats, and it seems like they kind of got got in some trouble there. And uh, if they lost their source code for for their main ransomware attack, basically that means that everyone else, the cat and mouse game, you basically got the br- blueprint. I love history channel. I love history things like the enigma, right? When people couldn't figure out how did, how did the Americans know when transportation ships and U-boats and things were running around? Well, we had the enigma uh, machine and we, had, we were able to decode it. So you have that source code, you're able to, you're able to decode what's going on and, and defend against it. That's a big loss for folks who are taking this path. Interesting piece of news. Also, I think it was really interesting that some of the people brought on board didn't know what brought on board for and didn't know that they were working for a ransomware organization. In fact, coders were kept in the dark by having them work on one module or part of the software rather than the whole program so they couldn't see what they were working on as a whole. Uh, and when some people did discover what who they were working for, Conti came back at them with just a pay bump as incentive to stay on. Yeah, I remember the, the, I think it was, I'm not sure if it's the most recent Die Hard movie, like Die Hard or Seven or whatever. It's where he jumps from a, the back of an F-18 onto a semi, onto a collapsing, remember that one? It's, it's the most recent one. That one starts out with basically siloed people developing code for a, a large fire sale attack is what they branded in the Hollywood. And all those guys are getting killed. So they basically clip them all. And yeah, you can, people can be working as a developer on a specific piece of application and have no idea what they're what they're really helping to develop so now once you find out you either get assassinated like you do in die hard or it sounds like maybe you get a couple extra shekels and and you just keep on coding yeah because if anything die hard is a documentary it is it is what i really appreciate about it is the authenticity of it oh i can survive jumping from that good to know and he sticks the landing too 
It's very impressive. It is. Mm-hmm. He goes from a cop in Nakatomi Towers in the 80s to a full action hero, Captain America person. I personally appreciate the transformation of a beat cop with a moderate drinking problem transitioning into a superhero. I like it and I love Die Hard, so I'm okay with it. Plausible that suspension of disbelief is okay with me. I'm good. It's really the everyman story. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And on that note, we're going to call it here. This is episode 11 of The Instant Report. Thank you so much for joining us. Adam, thank you so much for joining me. And we will see you next week. Thanks, Paul. Good times. Thanks so much for listening. The Incident Report is brought to you by Quest Technology Management. With over 40 years of experience, Quest is a leading technology integrator working seamlessly with your staff and systems to achieve your IT goals. Learn more about everything they do at questsys.com. And if you have questions or suggestions for the podcast, you can always email Adam and myself at theincidentreport at questsys.com. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.